and welcome back to what would usually be referred to as the What The Fork Sunderland Review Show. Yes, Sunderland lost again, this time 2-1 to MK Dons. Automatic promotion, we aren't even in the playoff places anymore, mate. And no matter how you swing it, Charlie Methven, Stuart Donald and Juan Satori are still very much in possession of far too many shares in a football club that they desperately need to depart. The truth is, for many reasons, being a Sunderland fan is kind of past the point of anger for some and, and for some, something in apathy. But the truth is, as a host, I think I'm quite evidently an emotional person. People will know that. And I found hosting the podcast the past few weeks, I think like every fan, you know, difficult because I'm hurting my co-host, my co-host, hosts even, uh, my contributors, if you prefer, their moods and going back over it's exactly the same. And the journey back that I've got to make to Scotland most weeks makes it increasingly difficult to kind of want to discuss a game via a podcast because it's, it's simply draining the life out of me, if I'm completely honest. But it hasn't always been this way. And me and my contributors are absolute troopers and we will do a podcast even when we don't want to, no matter what. So this week, we want to cheer you up a little bit and remember basically why we love Sunderland Association Football Club because ultimately, sadly, we do. And right now, it is tough. We know that. It's horrible. But to fall out of love with something, it means at some point you've got to fall in love with it. To be angry at something ultimately means that you care. And no matter who or what owns Sunderland AFC or which imposters or which mercenaries travel through it and take an undeserved wage from this utterly mental yet absolutely brilliant football club, the fans will always be at the heartbeat of it. So instead of reviewing Saturday's game because it was shite, We've decided to switch it up a little bit instead, and hopefully you'll prefer this than what we would normally do. So myself and regular guests Dave Lawrence and Brad Shark have wrote down a couple of questions each to remind ourselves why we let Sunderland put us through the ringer, why we love them. And yes, basically, we're going to remember the good times. But before I start, Dave, how are you doing, mate? You all right? Yeah, very well, mate. Yeah, I think, yeah, I don't think there's much anyone can add to that. What a brilliant intro. So yeah, well happy with that. Thank you very much. Brad, same to you. How are you doing, mate? You all right? Yeah, it got me very emotional, that intro. Did you cry? Uh, well, um, for the... Uh, I won't see our faces. No, I didn't. <laughs> I don't know why I asked you. I can see your face, which is ridiculous, <laughs> really, isn't it? Um, but like I said, everyone, we're going to... I've just chucked together a couple of questions because I thought, you know what? Like, I was coming back on that train and I'm thinking, God, why do I do this? And then, like, I kind of remembered why I did it. And I thought, oh, that would be quite funny on a podcast rather than just going, oh, damn, Connor Wickham, eh? Um, so I thought I'd just chuck out a few questions, but Dave, I'll, I'll come to you first. Obviously, uh, you know what the questions were. We discussed it beforehand, but we've all got that first game and the memories of it. What, what was your first game? Mate, I don't actually remember what my first game was because I was fortunate, fortunate, unfortunate enough to have been going to Sunland. I think the first time I ever went, I was probably between two and three year old. And a lot of it to do was with was the fact that I've, I've always lived in a pub. My mum and dad have always owned pubs. Um, and obviously, the pubs that we owned at the time, up and around Sunderland, were box pubs. So we always had access to a box at Roger Park, which, you know, is a, anywhere from two to seven-year-old, which is when I probably went, was like living the dream. You know, actual Roy Keane, Roy Keane-esque prawn sandwiches at halftime and a lot. Do you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> But I suppose the one that lingers most in my memory, and I am genuinely going to get emotional about it, especially because I might have had a few beers, because you keep catching me on a Sunday night, and Sunday's like the end of my week. A few beers, relax. Any raspberry juice? <laughs> um, so the one that, that really sticks in my mind first and foremost, and it just sums up Sunderland for you, um, Pope, underdog, absolutely seen the, the scenes of travelling down on the train and everything was the 1992 FA Cup final against Liverpool and I was six year old genuinely six year old and we, we started off the journey well a mate actually came round to the pub, we were living in Silksworth at the time, in a pub in Silksworth and a mate came round at about 4.30 in the morning Jumped on the train at half five, six o'clock in the morning. Travelled down, people singing. It was mad. Get into London, do the whole pubs and streets around London, 
get to the game, I just remember standing at the old Wembley. The, the, the seats weren't great. We were like almost on a corner angle of the of the goal. And I just remember looking around going, Jesus Christ, what is this? And the, the thing that sticks in my memory even to this day, I know how passionate, emotional, absolutely mad everyone was and we got beat 2-0. My God, have we ever fucking won something? <laughs> scary, isn't it? Jesus Christ. Like, if we won some, it's scary. I mean, it's funny you talk about, like, Sunderland at Wembley and that. And mine wasn't that big of a game. Mine was a defeat, my first game. But one thing I love, love about Sunderland, just in... Well, probably when you go to Wembley, when you've got the kind of 35,000, 40,000 Sunderland fans down there, no matter where you are in London, if you've got a red and white shirt on when Sunderland are playing at Wembley, there's always someone about at least 100 yards max away that'll go, well, that's... It's just like... <laughs> it's like a mutual thing, like... We're all here, by the way. Um, my first game was... Well, my first game was actually Torpedo Moscow, but I, I don't remember it. I think I was two or something. And my dad said that he had to take us home when I think it was Marco that scored. I could be wrong. People a bit older than me will put us right on this, but someone scored for Sunderland. I basically shat my nappy to the point where, like, the four-wheel end could tell. Like, the four-wheel end knew in between all those smells of, like, cigarettes and stale alcohol that Ken's son had shat his pants. So my first game that I actually remember was Wolves at home, 93-94 season. We got beat 2-0. And I actually, there was loads of stuff that I remembered about it, but it was more like getting in the turnstile. I didn't, my dad didn't pay for us. He just put us over the turnstile. And I remember thinking that was a normal thing. Like the kid would just go in for free and I used to get in for free. It wasn't apparently my dad was just a massive wide old and just try to get in for free all the time. He used to like lift us over and put us in. And I remember... I just remember the first song I ever sang and I don't know whether I'm proud of it or, or I'm embarrassed by it because you want it to be a Sunderland song, but it wasn't. And I loved it. And it was, if you hate Newcastle, clap your hands. And it was great because I could join in with that. It was dead innocent and I could clap my hands. And then obviously I was brought up as Simon Ramson says, brought up to love Sunderland, who do you hate? Fucking mags. And, and that's just the way it is. And, and I kind of felt that from the first game, but we got beat 2-0. Um, and I hadn't seen highlights back for ages. I remember we had, I think it was Don Goodman and Phil Gray up front. And I remember specifically Jeff Thomas ran like the half the length of the pitch to get the second in like the 90th minute. And not long afterwards, I think it was Gary Hours took him out and Jeff Thomas never really recovered from it. I don't know why I'm laughing. Sorry, Jeff. Um, Cause you're a cracking player, but he, he ran the length of the pitch. And I remember specifically like people in the crowd being like, don't let him do that again. Even though it was like 91st minute, but it was class. I was in the forward end. And I don't know what it was because I, I can't really remember the first time I've seen Sunderland win at Roker Park. I remember going to see us play South End, and I'm sure Stan Collymore and Brett Angel were up front. I mean, that is literally a contrasting strike force, if ever you've seen one. Um, and it was absolutely pissing it down with rain. And we got beat 2-0, I think. And I used to go home and I used to collect the 40 echoes. And for my first season, me because my nana lived in the squares, so I used to go to my nana's. I was brought up. Um, alone for a lot of the weekend by me nana and me, and me parents during the week. And I used to go back to the squares with me nana and go and get, uh, I used to go to Ernie's Fish and Chip Shop in like, Southwick. Um, but they're like, my, I, I could go really in depth about it, but I'm aware that people probably want to listen to like an hour worth of a podcast and Brad's still got his turn yet and we've got so much stuff to get to. But that was my first game and, and I just remember like, and it's probably, it's probably seeped into me personality to be honest, like, um, being part of Summit, like being part of like a community. And I think, you know, I won't go in, I won't go into it, but I feel like that from a political viewpoint now. And I feel like that living in New Glasgow five days of the week. Um, I feel like there's very much a community sense and loads of different aspects. And it was like something really that gave me that first. For me, the reason I love something was the people and the way they made us feel as a kid and sitting in the forewell and like being like sat on the, the railing bit and everyone just like looking after us and that and everything smelling really badly and going to the Grange when it wasn't a family pub after the game when before the Grange turned into a proper family pub apparently it's gone back but different different vibe entirely when I was was little but but that really was I think why I first got into Sunderland um but I I, I that was oh I'm sad um Brad save us and tell us what your first game was <laughs> Mine was probably a, 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 the most Sunderland game ever. Um, the one, well, 
It's the game I remember. <clears throat> it was October 97, and it was Sunderland nil, Swindon Town nil. I remember uh, that Tuesday night or something. It was missed a penalty. That's right. And that's really all I can remember. I think I was only six years old. It was a six. Just gone six. Um, but I was just mesmerised by the amount of people that was there, I think. Um, I, I don't think it was a massive crowd. It was only about 20-odd thousand. But, uh, yeah, after that, I mean, they must have done something right because we just drew 0-0 with Swindon, but I was begging my dad to get the rest of the season for a ticket. And that was it after that. Never stopped going. Um, so, yeah, that's... I, I know... I can't remember being at Walker Park, but my dad and my granddad used to go. And then I, I used to end up going out and go around shopping while my mum and my grand would wait for them to come out. And I know for a fact they put us in the stadium once when the doors had opened. So they took us in for the last five minutes to watch and stand with them. But I couldn't tell you who we played or anything like that. So I'm classing Swindon nil-nil as my first experience of watching Sunderland. The best thing is Dave said his game, I've said my game, you said your game. None of us scored a goal between us. <laughs> None of us scored. None of us come close to winning. It's like, is there something wrong with the three of us or what? Oh, God. But it's funny you mentioned about Stadium Light there because obviously there's not a great deal of difference in years between us. Like Dave's probably slightly older, I think, by a couple of months than me. Then you're only a few years younger, really, Brad. But obviously you have that crossover. If you've got fans who did have Roper Park and you did have the Stadium Light and I know a lot of people disagree with me and there's a lot of people who don't know Roper Park and I don't know whether, Dave, you feel the same way, but... I wish I knew. I loved Roker. Like, I really loved it. Like, I went in every, every end. I'd never gone in the Roker end. And then the Liverpool game, my dad says, look, we'll take you in the Roker end. So he'd been in all four corners. Um, so I ended up going in every end. But I actually ended up sitting more in the clock stand. And I loved it. But I wish I knew. I wish I knew how special of a ground it was at the time. I wish I was older than, like, when Roker went down. I, was, I wasn't even 11. I was 10. And I started going to games properly that I remember from about six or only had between the ages of six and ten to really remember it. And um I wish I knew Roker more than I did, if that makes sense. I wish I knew Roker in like maybe not even the late 80s, but like I wish I was going to games in 92. I started going in 93. So I missed Gordon Armstrong's header and stuff like that. And um obviously for me probably a Chelsea game does stick out when we're beating 3 0 and Bowley's diving header. It's class that what a night that was. I mean and that was the season we got relegated, so we weren't exactly that great. I remember Craig Russell scored a goal off Michael Jubilee's arse. That's a big arse, to be fair, so it didn't take much to get the deflection. Sorry, Michael. Um, but uh, is it weird for you, Brad, having like not had Roker so much in kind of your your mind's eye, or, or do you kind of is it are you fine with it, or do you wish you'd kind of seen it? I'm a bit of both, really. Um, I mean, if I if I had seen it properly, like I said, I was only being five or six, so. I wouldn't have remembered much, but hearing the stories that, like, my dad, and my, especially my granddad, um, that he's had over years and years, <coughs> excuse me, if I was to have experienced that, I would have liked to have been, like, in my late teens, early 20s, because um, I think that's where you probably would have got the full experience from it. The noise that everyone talks about, that famous Walker Raw. Um, yeah, I, I would have, I would have liked it, but I've... Well, don't do them anymore, but I used to buy all the video VHSs of the season reviews. Mm. Watching it, it was it was brilliant. Um but for me it's like I, I'm like I'm not old fashioned anymore. I like the new stadiums. I don't know. Yeah, I, I would have loved to experience it, but I, I I do like the new stadiums. Um so I am actually quite happy that's basically my memories of football. It's just been Sunland's home that I've known it as now. It's funny because that when I I always get a bit wouldn't say emotional but I always like get a bit of like nostalgia when I go to Goodison Park because the lattice work obviously is it's the same as at Roker and it, it is at Ibrox as well and obviously listeners will know I don't think they mention it too much because I get hammered for it for like in more than one team um, but <laughs> I know I understand I get it it's all right um, but Ibrox has the lattice work as well and it's like it always just makes us reminds us of Roker which is weird because I probably only went to about 25-30 games at Roker maximum um, but I'm just going to go on a nostalgic trip down Roker Park memory lane here before I say anything but um, the biggest one for me uh, I'll come to you Dave as well because obviously you answered it first but who's your first Sunderland hero and why? Yes absolutely 
plenty of them. And I, I think I think this sums up for me. <laughs> like you say, to be honest, if there's a if there's a part of the po- of if this whole podcast's gonna revolve around this type of thing, I think it sums it up. Like it's just in you to fall in love with Sunland. You can't help it. It it's our grandparents, it's our parents, it's their parents. It's just madness. You know, and it it does it does make you wonder because I tell you what, the first team that I that I really remember, and I had a fair few heroes from it. John Byrne, absolute hero of mine. Nice. I could talk about this lot forever. But Johnny Byrne, John Keir, Alec Chamberlain, Tony Norman, like genuine heroes of mine. And there's there's no real reason why they are, because I'm sure through their own admission, they were probably, you know, Marco Gabbiadini. Gabbiadini was a was a class act in his own right. But none of them were real superstars. Do you know what I mean? Kids nowadays get brought up no. with loving Paul Pogba, loving Cristiano Ronaldo, loving Lionel Messi, so on and so forth. Genuinely, my heroes at the time were John Keir, Alec Chamberlain, Tony Norman, Dickie Ord, Gordon Armstrong. I absolutely loved Dickie Ord, mate. Like, I don't know what it was. I just loved him. He was just, he just looked daft. Sorry, Dickie. I'm sure you're not. But he looked daft, but he's actually quite talented. And in the team at the time, there's a lot of players there that, you know, were lower end Division One players. I mean, actually, they turned around, to be fair. They were probably playing under when they were butchering books and they were probably playing under themselves. But talk about John Kay. One of the games I had at Roker was that um, when he broke his leg. And, and I, I remember this so vividly, right? I had no idea who he was. It was Birmingham, wasn't it? I played Birmingham at home. And it was in the, they used to come up at Roker Park and that. And um, it's like number two, John Kay. And my dad went, oh, get in. Casey's playing. And I'm like, who the hell's that? Because I was still like getting used to the players and stuff like that. And, um, he was absolutely buzzing me dad that John Kay was playing I think he'd been injured and come back in a couple of times it was when he first start I could be wrong with that but I think that was the general gist of it from a really cloudy memory and then he broke his leg and it was just like you kind of like you, you knew he'd done something bad and then when the stretcher came on he started throwing it off like I actually remember seeing it because it was at my end and it was only in the years that came when I seen players going off with broken legs and they've got like towels over their face and that and they're crying because obviously it really hurts. I've never done it, but I assume a proper knacks. And John Kay is just like, nah, it's all right. And I interviewed him a few years ago and I tell you, in a really good way, he's nothing like what you'd expect. From that one interview, which is one interaction, I can't go too in depth, but he just a really sweet bloke, works within the community and stuff now and there's a lot of community work and he, he said it was on the call because he didn't want to do a podcast. No, 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 no. All right, fair enough. Um, he said, I, I forget that I played football, really. He said, because it's just part of my life. But he played like that. You know what I mean? He gave 100% of what he was doing at that time. And there's a few players you mentioned there. Dickie Ord, really talented kid, to be fair. Um, but talking about genuine talent for my first hero, Smithy, son of Pelle. Yeah. Absolutely loved him to pieces. Um, that 94-95 season when really came in at the end and he was just a star man. Obviously, Craig Russell got the winner against Sheffield United and really his first game, which, I mean, when we came in, that changed everything, didn't it? Um, but Smithy had so much talent in his boots and he was a proper, like, Mackham lad. And I went to see him with my dad at St. James's Park when he played for the 21s and they all fucking booed him. I remember being 95, so I wouldn't have even been 11. I would have been just turned, just turned. I don't even think I would have been that. And I got absolutely raging with it. You know, I'm saying 95, I wouldn't have been 11, I would have been eight. Um, <laughs> my maths has not, not been good at all there. I think it would have been just about turning nine for you. Uh, math, mathematicians there, I can't even say the word. But Smithy was mine and, and I loved him. Like... And it's weird because obviously he played in that team and couldn't get in the kind of Summerby and Johnson and, and Phillips and, and Quinn team, but he still had the same level of talent players like that. And, you know, he went to Huddersfield, Sheffield United, scored loads of goals, gave it to the Mags as well when he scored for Sheffield United, didn't they all singing Mac and Watts' score and we'll just beat them 2-1, he gave them 2-1. Um, and another player that I've met 
and I think a lot of people have met Smithy because he's he's always around town and he's still just part of Sunderland, isn't he? But um, Son of Pele was mine. I just he was the first. He was the first like Lionel Messi, if you prefer, that I kind of went to. Sometimes you go to more skillful players, nice like wingers or really tough tackling fullbacks. And for me, Smithy was that one player that just had a little bit something in him in a team that was probably underachieving but hardworking. Um, so yeah, Martin Smith probably for me. Brad, who is yours? I'm asking a stupid question here. Uh, I've got two actually. Um, and I can't really pick between them because they're for very different reasons. Let's say uh, the players you mentioned, yes, I've I've heard of, but they're all too young for me. Um, my hero, I, I'm going to have to pick two. Kevin Phillips made me really fall in love with football. Um, I just, I, it was like I say, it was like his first season at Sunderland was my first season at Sunderland. I just saying like everything was right, and just I just loved the bloke. Um, but another one is, and, and I, I would give my left bollock to meet him. Is Alex Ray? What a man! I just loved the man he is, and I loved watching him. Um, and I always remember his celebration. He scored that worldly against Charlton, and he's he's running away, just giving it that with his finger over his lips, shutting them up. And that became like my celebration in Sunday League, even though the opposition fans were like kids as dads and they weren't shouting at me at all but Alex Ray's like <laughs> I just love the bloke and the older I've got I'm glad I, I sort of looked up to him because the, the, the struggles he had off the pitch as well um, showed he, he's a true man to be able to take himself away from what was really a, a difficult time for him take a step back and then come back a new man and Looking at that now, actually, it, it, it helps me in a, a lot of things where I might have a bit of a struggle. So he's actually influenced me now. So I'm glad I looked up to him as a kid to now I can look back and think, yeah, I'm, you are one of my heroes and he still is. Um, Football-wise, it's got to be Kevin Phillips for me. Just what a player he was. Like, the, one of the most natural goal scorers and I would say, probably say one of the most underrated strikers England's yeah. ever had. And you've got to feel sorry for him. He's won the only Englishman to win the European Golden Boot. He was banging them in for fun. But he was in an era where he just couldn't get in the England team for a solid run because we had Shearer, Sheringham, uh, Cole. Heskey. They had so much <laughs> talent in the England setup. Phillips couldn't get a look in. You felt so sorry for him. Any other era, he's probably England's main man. <laughs> and it was like, but yeah, I just, I just love Kevin Phillips. Love Super Kev. Eight caps, he got we only got eight caps for England. I mean, I remember obviously you were 2000, got knocked out in the group stages, didn't we? And uh, Phillips had banged in 30 goals that season, 30 league goals as well. There was no cup goals involved in that. Um, it's funny you talk about Alex Ray. Ricky Lambert scored more England goals than Kevin Phillips. Oh, Jesus Christ, <laughs> it's all right, Ricky Lambert, I suppose, but he wasn't quite Kevin Phillips. Um, it's funny, the, ne- the next question I have here that I wrote down is. At what moment did you realise that you loved Sunderland and, and that you really got into them? And it, I'll take my turn here, I think, because of what you've just said there, Brad. And as much as it pains us to say, and I want it to be like this positive all the way through, and it, but it is a positive, but it was the the first season at the Stadium of Light. Um, it was my first season ticket. I never had a season ticket at Rogue. It was only sporadic games when, when my dad could take us or me, I wanted to go or, or whatnot. Um but I got a season ticket for it, Southwest Corner, which is where I've always been. Changed me seat, but never me corner. And um, that Charlton player final. And the experience I've got of that is so different to everyone else's because I think most people are at Wembley or watch it at home in Sunderland. And my dad is a massive pessimist and I'm a massive optimist. When it comes to Sunderland, though, I've, I'm literally, the, the apple has not fallen too far from the tree. Um. So we got beat 4-1 at Redden, I think. John Mullen scored for us and it was like Nightmare Elm Park, I remember that Sunderland Echo said. And my dad went, oh, we're not ganning up, right? I'm booking a holiday in the summer, doesn't matter. And he booked it and I was like, dad, dad, that's like the playoffs, that. And he was like, we're not ganning the playoffs, we've just got stuffed off Redden. So he booked like a month-long holiday away at Thailand, starting kind of when the playoff final started. Um, and the Sheffield United game as well. 
So I was at home for the Sheffield United first leg, but we were in Thailand. It was literally the day after he booked that we just couldn't stop winning games. Like it was almost like I'm going to make you pay for this. Um, <laughs> but like, my dad, I mean, we got beat off Ipswich, which is what kind of like succumbed us to the the playoffs, wasn't it? If people remember, we got beat off them on a Tuesday night. And my dad went out and watched the game. And my dad just got absolutely spanked, if I'm honest with you. Absolutely right. Us, like he's, um, my, my granddad not long died. And I, th- I think sometimes, you know, that, that happens without going too deep. Um, but he went out and was like, I'm going out with the lads, going to watch the match. So, you know, like every dad does. And he came back in and he was just in the worst mood ever because we got beat off Ipswich. And he said, we've duffed it. we duffed it. And he also was like, that's it. We're kind of go to the player final because I've paid thousands of pounds out to go on holiday to, to Thailand once in a lifetime trip. It's not for the record. But I remember feeling like it was just so low that night. Like, my dad brought a chip in and I didn't even want a chip. I was just sick. I was like proper sick that we got beat at Ipswich. And then obviously we got beat in the first leg of the playoff final. We beat Swindon last day of the season. Uh, so we're in Bangkok. And the late night kickoff in Bangkok kicks off early hours of the morning. So by this point, mom's like, right, you're getting in bed. Get in bed, son. Like, and I couldn't sleep thinking about the match. So I didn't even get like a chance to look at it, really. If I'm completely honest with you, I didn't even get a chance to watch the game because I was in bed. My mom was like, go to bed. My dad was like, I've got to go and watch the game. It'll be on somewhere. So got to like... <sighs> I could be wrong on timing here, right? But it kicked off like one o'clock in the morning, maybe in Thailand time, uh, Thai time. <laughs> got like six in the morning. My dad still wasn't home. Now I'm, and and I'm, I haven't slept. Like I've just stayed up thinking about the game and thinking, where's my dad? And also kind of worrying about where my dad is. I guess it's a half six in the morning and here. And the hotel door. In the quote, by the way, before I go further, my dad's a tight ass. He never, he doesn't know how to listen to podcasts, so I'm getting away with that one as well. Tight ass, right? Just to give context to this story. So, so I run to the door, thing. I need to know the score, need to know the score, because it wasn't day of the internet. You couldn't, you couldn't read it on your phone. You know what I mean? It was a different world then. So I ran to the door, opened the door. My dad's face was like absolute thunder, and I'm thinking, and my heart sank. And then my dad just put this massive smile on, just start like, I mean, my dad could barely stand. He was that drunk. He drank so much singer. He was absolutely ratted. And my dad just put this massive smile on his face and went, Wembley, Wembley, Wembley. And, and then he went, right, room service. My dad never gets room service. So my dad woke up the next morning, like 12 o'clock or something like that. <laughs> and he was like, what's all these pots and pans? What's all these plates? I'm like, Dad, you spent like 70 quid last night on room service. You what? And no, no, I didn't. And he was severely hungover. But when he got to the playoff final, like I went out with my full Sunland kit in Thailand. Actually, it wasn't Thailand, it was Phuket. I tell lie, we'd been in Phuket by that point. And I had the full gold Sunland kit with the navy shorts on. Went with the socks and everything. And I went out and watched the game with these Charlton fans. And my dad goes, I can't do this. I can't sit with Charlton fans and watch this. So my dad went and watched the game and then set the pub elsewhere. And I got half time and I was sobbing because my dad said, we'll lose 1-0 at Clyde Mandongo's score. And it was 1-0 at half time, as people remember. And I was sobbing. I was absolutely pouring my heart out. I was so, so sad. And he's Charlton. I was like, is he all right? And my mom said, yeah, he just loves Sunderland, basically. He just loves Sunderland. And then they went, look, yeah, kid, like we'll get you a Pepsi or something. And they bought us a Pepsi. And then they went, look, there's some tissues for you, your eyes and stuff like that. Dry your eyes, son. And these Charlton fans, like, prop looking after us. And then literally five minutes in the second half, Quinny scored, and I was like, you can have the handkerchiefs. <laughs> I was like... But the whole night, like, I must have only been 10, 11. 11, I think. Coming up 12. And just the whole thing, like... I remember afterwards, I was just like, I love Sunderland. Like, I'm gutted but we'll win it next year. You know how Quinny said, oh, we'll win it next year. As a 10-year-old, I had the same sort of feeling. I was like, no, not, that's not happening again. Like, and I think, if I'm honest with you, as much as I loved Roker, as much as like I've got memories in between that, it was that season and, and that particular moment when I was like, I actually loved something in so many different ways. I kind of begin to describe it. 
Um, I hope I haven't got too deep and emotional here. Jesus Christ, I've gone down a right hole. We're going to come to the funny bit soon, didn't worry. The break's coming up soon, didn't worry. Just fast forward this on if you didn't want to cry and get upset. Dave, we've got six minutes till the break. Um, what was the moment you knew that Sunderland were sadly attached to your life? Yeah, like I say, I've already I've already mentioned about the 92 FA Cup final. And it's like, for being, my memory's terrible, to be fair. I'm not like you and Brad. I don't remember specific game. I remember specific moments, but trying to remember what night it happened. Trying, probably because I was pissed half the time. But trying to remember, like, who's, who scored it. Or I remember the goals. I remember the angles, blah, blah. But, yeah. But, funnily enough, it was obviously holiday season because mine would be very similar to yours. The only difference being um, we never really went for the old far-flung holidays, but we did use... Uh, I was very fortunate growing up uh, that my mum and dad were pretty successful in what they did. So it was our holiday time, and I'll never forgive them because during the playoff final, we were in Ibiza. Oh, no. Uh, and, yeah, played Dembossa and literally watching the game and just... We'd actually found a pub which was owned by a Mexican bloke um, who was married to a smoggy. Mad. But yeah, good old, good old Kiki. And the only bit of advertisement outside of his bar was a camel cigarette. Um, <laughs> it was a camel cigarette uh, stand. So literally, we always described it as, are we going to the camel bar tonight? And that's where we watch the football and everything. And he's like, his missus is there. Giving it the big and ah, but I'm like, honestly, you're in Yorkshire. Shut up. Don't talk to me. You know, I was only 10 as well. So, so yeah, that's that's just when you know, and exactly like you say, everyone bought into that because you just felt as though the season after we were gonna do it. It was probably it was probably for the good of the club that we didn't go up that year, if I'm quite honest with you. In a in a roundabout kind of weird way, because the season after. And I remember the parades after we'd won the league the season after, around the streets and that. It was carnage. I was watching was um, the... I was watching Borley's interview the other day of when he won the league. Yeah. You no, know, obviously, sadly, Borley's not with the club anymore, which is mental. Um, we're not going to touch on the sad, we're touching the good. Um, seeing him when they were like, oh, what does that mean to you? And I can't remember exactly what he says, but he's just like, just what he says to you is like, oh, Borley, man. Like, why do you always know what to say? Um, but the chart, it, you know what? I mean, I'm 35, so that Charlton game would have been me, me master and birthday. What was it, 98, 2000, 2018, 24 years ago? Coming up 25. Um, I can still feel exactly how that felt. Yeah. I can still feel, even though I've had so many different experiences to that. And by the way, um, just to counteract you, Dave, my family was not a rich family. We just spent all our money on this massive long holiday. We used to occasionally run out of the emergency electricity and have to go to bed at seven because it was dark. So didn't be sending me any... Graham, were you rich when you was a kid? No, I wasn't. This is the richest <laughs> I've been in my life. Um, turned out Spotify play really well. No, that's not true. Um, I meant YouTube as well anyway, so I messed it up. But we're going to put on a, a wee quick break. I really hope you've enjoyed the first part. Um, I don't know if we've got too serious, too deep, too upsetting, too fun, too nostalgic. I don't know. But we're trying something new and, and hopefully you've enjoyed it. And if you have, there's a second part. And you know what's coming up next? Death Metal Interlude. everyone enjoyed the death metal interlude again i don't know what it is yet hopefully you enjoyed it if you didn't tough um before we go into brad and, and find out why brad fell in love with the club during the break i, I popped on um ready to go smb the forum as many people will, will know some go on some don't and i've just seen one of the most bizarre posts i've ever seen in my life i'll just read it it's from a guy called your dark claims jsa um 
Overheard two lads in the stands yesterday talking about the old boy in the Navy Club who turns up with a packed lunch for good luck. He's been doing it since the 60s. Apparently his missus was a bit down in the dumps with all this Russian nonsense and sent her bloke to the match without his lunch. Anyway, according to the lads in the stands, he sat down to drink his pint and he couldn't bring himself to look at the spot where his packed lunch was. So all the lads at the adjoining tables decided to keep it a secret and chip in and buy the old boy a packet of crisps. Apparently the bloke wasn't even that bothered at first because he preferred his prawn cocktail and they all got him sweet chilli sensations. But things changed when he got halfway through the bag and he found a crisp with a lion's mouth on it. The bar went up like everyone cheering and sending pictures of the lion's mouth to their mates. Ended up with about 100 people coming to the pub to see it. And he has posted a photo of the crisp and it does look like a lion's mouth. Um Anyone who criticizes the SMB, there's the reason why you should never criticize the SMB. That's why it's great. Anyway, um, hope you enjoyed the interlude and the little story from the SMB there about the lion's mouth. Brad, why did you fall in love with someone? <laughs> you know what? You used to have mentioned the, the, the time. But I was in the country. Um, One of three. Remember the Sheffield United game at home. I have never to this day experienced noise in an atmosphere like that. Everything about that night was epitome of where people say you can't beat the state, you can't beat Sun under the dome under the lights. It was just amazing. And then the Friday night before the playoff final, I was in the back garden with my mum doing the gardening with her. And I always remember my dad coming home from work. And he said, Aren't you? Shouldn't you be in bed? And it was about six o'clock. And I in the and I said, No. And he was like, Well, I think you should do. And I said, Well, no, it's only six o'clock, Dad. And he pulled out three Wembley tickets. And I knew I was gone. And I remember going, we parked up, and it was the sea of red and white walking up Wembley Way. Just everywhere you looked, it was just Sunland. I know Charlton playing red and white, but it was just Sunland. No matter where you looked, it was amazing. And then I always remember, and I, I've never seen the bloke since. There was a bloke stood to me, stood to the right of me, and we're watching in the, in the ground. We were just behind the goal in our in our end, about five or six rows back. And every time we scored, then my dad didn't lift us up. This bloke to the right of me, who I don't even know who he is, he was to pick me up and he threw me in the air. And I was ending up maybe a few rows to the right, a few rows to the left, in front, behind. My dad didn't care. But this bloke just kept picking me up whenever we scored. So that was like four times I had to find my seat again. Um, and I just remember at that moment... Sunland were for me and <laughs> I do remember afterwards crying pretty much all the way until we got back to Birmingham until I fell asleep and I knew then yeah Sunland were, were the team that I loved and that is why it was I think the Sheffield United atmosphere but walking on Wembley Way and just seeing how many Sunland fans were there and the atmosphere and all the, the blow horns and flags and just be when red and white hats that's, that's when I knew I'm never going to love another club like I love this one. I think just that time was just, I don't know if we've all just been mad nostalgic, which obviously is kind of the point of it, I guess. It's like encapsulating Sunland, your life supporting Sunland in like a one hour, 20 minute podcast, whatever, which it's like quite difficult to be honest. But I think um, that time does feel like that was such a time to follow Sunland. Like, because not everything was amazing. We got beat in the player final. You know, we had a really bad start of the season. Borough beat us every time they played us that season. It wasn't like everything we touched turned to gold and our shite sparkled. Like, that's not, it wasn't like that. We were just a bloody good team on the pitch. We had a semblance of where it was going. We had new heroes to look forward to. We had a new stadium and kind of a new feel. We felt like a, just bigger and better than we'd ever been in my lifetime. And I think, I think that everyone else did the same. But uh, on the flip side, I said beforehand, this was going to be the funnier part. And the, the questions we've got coming up were first one's funniest memory. I've got loads, but there's a couple that really stick out. Um, so I'll go with a not as funny one first, I think. And it was after we beat uh, Newcastle in the last minute at Christmas. Um, oh, God, it was class. Um, so I went to all the games for the six in a row. But I lived in a place called the Drossen for a little while, which is about an hour outside of Glasgow on a train. Um, 
it takes a while to get there. Like the last train doesn't necessarily come um till like midnight, whatever. I think your last one will be maybe like eleven if you're lucky. So of course, early kickoff and think that'll oh, get back fine. And I used to book the trains going back after Derby games for up seven o'clock ish because I did that after the Paolo one and we won. So I just continue to do that like a luck thing. But I got battered in Jameson's after I came back because we came, it was just funny. Like the whole way back was just funny because you're thinking we've battered them three times and now we've just done them in the last minute. We just absolutely ruined their Christmas. And it was like one of the best. We all remember it. it's recent memory. It's not that long ago. Um, but I got so right oh, I'd missed like almost every train and somehow managed to bundle myself back to Glasgow. And I started sobering up when I realised I was in a taxi to Woodrossen. It's expensive. And I had no money, like absolutely no money at all. And I got to the, I got to the door. <laughs> and my now ex-wife answered the door and she was like, what the fuck are you doing? And I was like, well, beat a mags, beat a mags. One, boy, mags, one. You got 88 quid. <laughs> she was like, why? I got a taxi back. Why didn't you just get a hotel and stop in Glasgow City? Well, I wanted to come home and tell you about beating the mags one nil. <laughs> it was like, and the game before that, the Poet won the three nil. Um, <laughs> I was wasn't that drunk that game. I had a couple calm the nerves on the morning, and then uh, I got I got trained back from Newcastle on the night. So I remember just like smiling to myself because obviously we had Wembley coming up and we just battered them. Like, in that six in a row, that was the game where we just totally dominated them. Liam Bridcut, Sergio Biscuits, same player that day. Um, and we just battered them, and it was class. And I was just like, my stomach felt full. My heart felt big. Um, we'd just done our biggest rivals in the one backyard, and I had Wembley in less than a month to go to. And that was like, I had a stag do coming up as well a few weeks later. <laughs> so I was just like, yeah, 2014 was a decent year, you know what I mean? Um, but I remember... Do you know in Newcastle Central Station where those seats are, like the, where people sit near where like boots and that are now and stuff and Costa and whatnot? So I was standing there just waiting for the train, which originally was just going back to Edinburgh and then Edinburgh and which to, to Glasgow. And I had like, obviously, I'm not daft, so I zipped me coat up and stuff like that. And I was like, you know, I'm not going to get the town would be mental to smash this place up. One to beat us 5 1. God knows what they're going to do when we'll beat them three and out again. Um, and this guy was just like total like Polax on the seat, like arms over the seat. Like you could tell he'd been out all day and he just got absolutely ratted. And he just, there was no life in him. And I thought, bloody hell, he's had a rough one. And then he randomly just shot up out of nowhere, like just woke up like Frankenstein, like coming to life and just looked at us directly in the eye, not knowing who I was. And he went, oh, three nil, man. Mark, I'm bastards. And then just planted back in his seat. And that man will never know how much he made my day. Because knowing how sick we'd made him that day just made it 10 times better. But my funniest memory, and there's a few to be honest, I'm probably missing loads here, is really, really random. So we went to... Actually, it's two good memories, but I'll come back to the other one. Um, we went to... What game was it? Liverpool. It was Anfield on a Tuesday night. Anyone with a decent memory will specifically remember that Kenwin Jones missed an absolute sitter in the first, like, four or five minutes. Like, right in front of the cock. And after that, we just got beat. Yossi Benayun and David and Gog scored. Um, wasn't great. But <laughs> there was a group of lads that were just drunk. And you could tell they a good drink, but they weren't, like, being arseholes or anything like that. Just typical normal fans. And Pep Irena came at our end, at, um, like as he came back out for the second half. And obviously he's clapping the fans either side for the cop and stuff like that. And this lad, who I now know, Stephen Barnes, um, just stood up and he went, Reina, man, Reina, Pep Irena. And Reina noticed him and kind of was like, what? Like, why is he here in shouting us? And he went, and then like Barnes, he sort of realised and clicked that he'd looked at him. And he went, oh, your wife's got gout. And like the entire, like the whole like away and just went, what? And he was like, well, Shahaz, man. <laughs> just sat down. Rainer's face was like puzzled for like the next 30 seconds. Like, 
just got gout. Um, and that was particularly funny. And another one that I have, anyone who has seen a photo of me giving the mags the 2-1 at St. James's, I don't know who took it, but someone once posted it on Twitter and said, oh, who's the lad at the front giving the mags the 2-1? And it was me, and it came, obviously someone tagged me, and then I got it. So people will know that I had quite a big beard at one point, Gandalfy or William Story, if you prefer, um, quite literally stylish apart from the beard. Um, and we went to Spurs away on a Tuesday night. It was Spurs away and Chelsea away in the same week. And we were like, well, Chelsea's 47 quid. They're the champions. Mourinho's never lost a game at home. We're not going to go there. Let's go to Spurs. We can only afford one. Obviously, we beat Chelsea 3-0 on a Sunday, of course. Um, but went to Spurs. And we drew 1-1. Jan scored. Uh, played really quite well. And we went to Leicester Square afterwards. And it was when, just after the hangover it came out, and there was a film called Due Date. It came out with Zach Galifianakis and Robert Downey Jr. What a film that is. There was a big poster of it. Big poster of it, right? And one of my mates went, oh, you look like uh, you look like him from The Hangover. Now, should we get a photo? Should we get a photo? Like, the big... Ah, oh, I can then, because we had a few beers. And I got a photo, and then out of nowhere, all these American tourists thought I was him. There's much funnier memories than that, I'm sure, but they're the ones that stick at the top of my mind. Dave, funniest memory if I'd fallen someone that you can think of. Again, plenty of them, but I've, while you were talking away, I'm trying to think, and I'm not sure if I've ever told you this on the pod before, and I might have done, because it's just one of my favourite stories. And again, another story of like Sunderland coming so far and missing, as per usual. But... FA Cup, uh, sorry, FA Cup semi-final, Millwall, FA Cup, League Cup, FA Cup, wasn't it? Tim Cahill. Yes, that's yeah. the badge. FA Cup. Uh, Mick McCarthy? Mick McCarthy? Mick McCarthy, John Austin, Kevin Kyle. So, basically, having worked in hospitality my whole life, I had no chance, and obviously not being a season ticket holder because of that, and anyway, one of the lads turns around and he goes, got your spare ticket for the semi-final if you want, but there's no room in the car. And I'm like, what? Just give us the ticket. Especially as it was an under-18 ticket. So I was like, I think it was like a tenner. I'm just like, I, I love it. I'll get there. I don't care. So gets there, looks at trains, fully booked. National Express, fully booked, everything. I'm like, right, how am I getting here? Anyway... Found a, found a one seat on an ELS coach. And I was like, right, I'll have it. Didn't care. No problem whatsoever. Got to be there at stupid o'clock in the morning. Get back at stupid o'clock. No idea how I'm getting back home. But I'm, I can get there and back. So comes whatever time. I think it was probably dark. So six o'clock in the morning, whatever time we got to be there for. Jumps on this bus. Absolutely jam-packed. So you've got the usual signs on the front, no alcohol on this bus, bloody. And I'm, I'm and the bloke is ushering everyone on. He goes, There's only one seat left, kid. I said, I where's that? Slap bang in the middle of the bus, right at the back. All the bad lads. And I'm just like, I'm yeah, and I'm just like, oh, I don't know if I need this, like, but whatever. We're all going for the same reason. Let's get there. And I get to keep my head down. I probably got my hood up and that and whatever. And all of a sudden, this big one. Oh, kid, you. Hey, you all right, like? I said, I am fine, mate, you. Where you here with? Who, who you here with, like? I said, I'm on my own, mate. He goes, you're fucking not on your own anymore, bonnie lad. <laughs> and he starts chatting away. He goes, I'll give you three guesses of my name. And I'm like, is this some kind of like stupid initiation? I've got no idea what your name is. He goes, I tell you what, my name's Robbie Williams. And I'm like, so I'm busting out laughing. I'm just some naive kid. Gets out his driver's license and he goes, look, I'm older than that bastard as well. And I'm the real Robbie Williams, all right? And I was like, love that. And I swear to God, I spent the whole journey down to this semi-final with Robbie Williams. And he's just like, 
He's got a bottle of vodka in inside a pint, a two liter Coke bottle. He's swinging that. He's going around, and I'll just, I'll never forget. He goes, obviously, we're sitting in different places. I'll meet you here outside the ground. I'll walk back to the bus with you. We'll get on. So obviously, we got beat one nil. My memory being, we went one nil down quite early, and then peppered them for the rest of the game. Hit crossbars, hit posts, and it just wouldn't go in. It just wasn't meant to be, like a lot of things were some. So I meet him after the game and fair play at the bloke. He's never met us in his life. He's obviously decided he's looking after us. And he uh, he gets us. And then he goes, right, we need some cans for the way back because there's a long way home the day. Like. Anyway, next thing I know, we're both there, both got our sun and shirts on. And it was just like we're talking to each other, looking at each other, not focusing on what we're doing. And we turned down this side street. He goes, there's a shop just down here. And as he looked up the point where the shop was, I swear to God, there must have been about 2,000 Millwall fans up and down this street. And I'm just like, this nope. is asking for trouble. And I, and it's, it's just that old-fashioned advice. He was like, eyes forward, don't look away, don't look down, don't look, you get your head straight forward and you walk straight down this street. We go to the shop, we get back on the bus. And he did, like, we walk. And to be honest, we're probably quite lucky that Millwall won, really. Because I get the feeling it mightn't have been the same story. But, uh, yeah, that's probably the funniest moment I've ever had. Hilarious. It's funny you, you thought about... Um, I thought of all those stories that trigger in my mind. That might not be funny to other people, but funny to me. Um, and then you mentioned coach travel, and I'm like, oh, shit. The <laughs> amount of good... You know what? I had a cracker when I first met Ashley. No, not when I first met her. Like, the first year we were going out, I says, we're going to take on a proper shitey son of the way, and we're going to go on, like, the Jarrah branch, that's what we're doing. And so when I was living back home permanently for a little while, um, going through uni, we went to Gillingham away. We got beat one now. Conor Ogilvy scored in the last minute. I ended up with this guy, loveliest guy on the planet. I wish I knew his name. But he just went, do you like dogs? And we're like, I mate, I love dogs, me. I think the class. And he went, love my dog. Do you want to see me dog? And Ashley was like, I'd love to see your dog. And he was like, got his phone out and he had like an album of photos of this like class dog. And he was like, he's class, isn't he? Just photo after photo, class, isn't he? Shite this stuff, but in me dog, class. Oh, <laughs> like, I, yeah, mate, it's great. But Blackpool Away was the funniest coach trip we've ever done. Blackpool Away when Kevin Richardson scored two. And I'm really sorry if this is the person that happened to. But it was, I was not quite back of the bus, but I was close enough to the daft lads. And the daft lads were daft lads. I mean, real daft lads. Half of them hadn't been home from the night up previously. They'd all been in like seven and something like that. So they're all like blurry. I mean, the eyes were so red, it looked like there was just zombies sitting at the back. And this was literally 10 to 15 minutes up the road. And this guy went, oh, Mara, I'm going to be sick. And he just ran to the bog and was like, Bleh. And then someone else was like, oh, I'm going to be sick. Bleh. He vomited in a bag, tied it up. And then oh, this poor woman, this poor woman, she'd obviously came down with her husband or someone she was with, and they were like near the front of the bus, minding them all business, weren't even really drinking. It was just like, oh, let's go and do Blackpool away. Something to... I have no idea whether they were big, massive fans or they were just there for the day or whatnot. I assume they were pretty big fans because it was quite hard to get a ticket for that day. But obviously she needed a poo. <laughs> So she kind of like waddles to the back of the bus, gets to the back of the bus. You know, as you do, you're holding on each seat as you're going down. And she's like, I'm just going to go to the toilet, lads. And I was like, I need bother, I need bother. She gets on the toilet. There for like five, ten minutes, you know, just standard stuff. Didn't really notice it really at the time. She gets up, she goes out. Now, the lad who was feeling sick before, and had been sick at the same time as her coming out of the toilet had decided that the next pile of sick was coming. This is all half an hour down the road at Blackpool, this. So he's gone to run to go to the toilet, but at the same time he's run to go to the toilet, he's got the scent of like crap coming up his, no up his nostrils at the same time. And he screamed, oh, that woman's took a shit. <laughs> and just... And just vomited all over the back of the toilet. <laughs> and she's like, and the woman's just like so red in the face with embarrassment. The guy's like going, 
oh, the smell won't go away, lads. <laughs> it's like vomit after vomit after vomit. And the guy was like, I can't hack this, me. I can't hack this. And the woman, bless her heart, never spoke another word, sat at the front of the bus, and that lad kept going, I'm really sorry. It just, oh, it just hit me nostrils, and that was it. So if that was you, please. I remember, I remember that game. Me and my mate. Because a lot of us went up dressed in smog suits, but a lot of them put them on to go in the ground and they all got them taken off. But me and my other mate, Lee, put them up over tops. We got in, got changed, went down for a pint last time. The stewards went, oh, lad, you're going to have to take them off. And we were both pissed and we went, we will if you can catch us. We were getting chased through the way end, right? Or three or four stewards trying to chase us. Now, obviously, you can usually blend in, but there's two early 20s lads just darting through. It was like an episode of uh, Benny Hill. We were running back, through the, <laughs> running back up through the access, down towards the fucking down the seat, and along the other way, and then back in. We just ran around the whole half time. And I was like, I don't want to miss any of the game here. But people were saying, lads, you've got to keep doing it. So we spent the first 10 minutes of the second half, and I don't know if there's any videos of like the crowd or whatever. People in yellow vests chasing two lads in white smog suits. <laughs> I remember... I remember that game specifically because everyone that came in off the train quite late because that window had been smashed. Everyone that came in late had uh, came in about 30 minutes and callback scored on like 33. So like the, the way in just filled up with like another 2,000 something fans as we scored. Um, unless you want to come on the podcast and explain his side of the story, which if so, Jack, I thought you were quite good when you played for something. No, not true. Um, but next question that I have, what have we got? I feel like I'm going to go Brad with this one. Yeah, and then just quick before we move on, another one, a funny memory I had within a stadium. I don't know the lad who'd done it, but we were behind the goal and Mark Schwarzer was playing for Boa. And this kid was just shouting, Mark, Mark. And he was asking him, like just shouting and saying, you're a good keeper, you, Mark. And he was shouting, can I have your top? Can I have your top? And there was his chin top. Mark Schwarzer, fair play to him, actually came over and was like, uh, yeah, no bother. So he gave him it. Give him it and said, like, all the best, lad, all the best. He went, Ah, you too. Picked up the shirt and went, Ha, I don't want it. It's only 12 year old. Threw it back at him. <laughs> Do you remember Spider Man? Do you remember Spider Man at Juventus? Yeah. I, like, people who won that Juventus game, it was like Del Piero and stuff like that. But the best part about it was the fact that, like, someone kicked the ball down the stand and someone had gone in fancy dress as Spider Man and obviously got in the kiosk caught the ball and ran back up and kicked it on. I, I just don't think you can ever plan. I think it's relatively famous. I don't think I'm, I don't, it's not really my story because I think everyone's got their own one. But um, there's also that one in Nyron when he fell on fell down on the pitch and started doing roly polies. And also when he, at Portsmouth at home, I, I still don't know why he did it. Um, best night out I've had after a Sunderland win. Well, I suppose it depends how you look at it because I'd have to say after the Old Trafford semi, like it was class that. Um, I specifically remember walking around bars in Manchester. I know obviously you had the Manone chant, which was the old Vito Manone one. But this guy randomly just looked like he was just walking about, really, like being a person in Manchester. And we walked into this bar and it was, it was like quite a quiet street because I think people are like segregated and gone different places. But he's seen the red and white scarf around one of my mates. I think I had me Sunderland top one or one we made at a Sunderland top one. It was obvious we were Sunderland fans in one way or another. And this guy just waited till he got right up close to us and then just went, I am Vito Manone, nobody I'd rather be. And then stopped singing it and walked off again. <laughs> just kept walking off. But the best night I've ever had, and I'm sad that this is the best night I've ever had because it was bad. But um, Portsmouth in the playoff semis when Maguire scored. So not having the best time in my personal life, is the, the short story of it. So I thought, I'm going to get out and get bladdered. We've all had those moments. We've all been there. So I thought, that's what I'm going to do. So I went out. Uh, and I went to Cooper House. <laughs> so like three in the morning. But I was so drunk, I didn't really realise it was... I didn't really realise it was three in the morning, if that made sense. And when the lights came on the Cooper Roads, it's a vastly different place. Like you just, it's like eyes open moments. So we went out and just drank everywhere, basically. But I kind of got too in depth on it, really, because A, I'm on a podcast, B, <laughs> B, I don't remember most of it. But I got picked up by my mum at half five in the morning. 
and I was sick of myself in bed and it was black Sambuca. So it all like stuck in my beard. And I had like a two day hangover from that to the point where like I had to go back to Glasgow the next day and I just couldn't move. Like I just, I had, my, I had to put my head down on like the, the, the rest for the entire way. But that night was probably the best night I've ever had after something in the game, which is mental really. But I think, because I've had a much better moments, like the, but I've always managed to stay within myself and not get too drunk. But after Pompey, I just got absolutely blitzed. And I was ringing my mum at half five, ringing my mum, 32 years old, and ringing my mum to come pick us up from somewhere in town. I can't quite remember where it was, really, to be honest. But, um, but we've only got 10 minutes left. So what's the most you've ever celebrated a goal, Brad? Remainder four. Newcastle. Against the Mags. Yeah. Without a doubt. I took my mate. I was meant to go with a friend of mine, and she couldn't go poorly, so I took a mate, and he doesn't even like football. I just wanted to gamble with a mate. And I was like, bollocks, you can come with us. And honestly, I have never celebrated a goal as much, but for so long. And my mate, even at that point, said he's never seen anything like it. And I feel dead sorry for him because we went in the concourse to get a pint and that. Everyone's going absolutely berserk. And a plastic bottle got launched and it hit him there. And they had to go and see a paramedic to get like uh, sterile strips put in. Oh, right, right. Um, and he missed the first 10 minutes of the second half. He came back up, covered in blood. Doesn't even like football. First game. Above his eyebrow. And I mean, it was deep, like. But as soon as he got hit by the bottle, I looked, seeing the blood. I said, right, I'll, you better go and find someone. And, I, and, mate, we were still celebrating in the 50th minute. The goal that had been scored, like, 25 a, minutes earlier. It was such a good half-time because it was right on the minute. And it was a gloriously sunny day. We'd battered them first half. Totally done them the entire game. Larson and Gomez were unbelievable that day. I remember specifically, and I always, I always remember after the game, Thierry Henry saying on Sky, yeah. watching it back, he's like, "You've won, just go home." So these are celebrating like they've just won the league, but they've just won a game. He's still in the relegation battle. Just go home. And he's <laughs> looking kind, and there's still half the stadium there just going absolutely wild. It was um, when he said, um, "It was when he said, I didn't want Newcastle to score." Because it would have ruined the day. It would have ruined the day. <laughs> and it was just like, for as long as I will live, it was just that moment of Pantillamon's long ball, Fletcher's flick, and just Defoe hitting it. It all happened so quick. And oh my word, I've never, and I never ever will celebrate a goal like that. The only one that's ever came close was Kieran Richardson's free kick. Good day. In my memory. But, mate, like... And that day leads on to your last one, the best night out I've had after. My mate doesn't like football. He hasn't got a clue about football. And he was like, this is one of the best days of my life. He's covered in blood. He's got a, he had to go to hospital the next day for stitches. Mate, it was just everything about that day. I, it was amazing. So that leads on from like your last question, best night out after a game. Best celebration of a goal was the Defoe one. Or, honestly, for as long as I will live, I'd, it'll take something to top that. I mean, it would have to be like, us scoring an FA Cup final 93rd minute goal because it was just everything about that goal was amazing. For me, obvious answer here, but it's the only time where I can't really tell you what I did, if this makes sense. Like, Old Trafford, when Bardo scored. Why? I, I don't know what I did. I just know I ended up six rows down next to the ladder sitting next to it at the match in the stadium. So we were sitting separate and it somehow ended right in front. And I remember we both looked and I was going mental and I was just like, calm down and looked up and Hernandez banged it into a corner. And it's funny. I don't think, I don't think Barnsley listens to this, but if he does, um, he turned around to us. Now I always remember this. He went, mate, you would have took that five minutes ago. And I was gutted. I was like, no, it's something, isn't it? And he went, you would have took that five minutes ago. You took penalties five minutes ago. And I was like, eh, I guess I would. I. And then obviously we won on penalties. But um, but I, it's been a long one, Dave, Brad. And I don't know how it will come across for people listening. I, I hope that you've enjoyed it. I just didn't want to go through a defeat again. It just feels kind of sad. Um, I and mean, I think a lot of people have spoken awful lot, Dave and, and Brad, about the apathy, me being one of them and, and not renewing and... 
falling out of love with something. And, and I think I get all of it so much, but I just wanted, if anything, even if everyone hates this podcast, right? I just wanted to remember for a minute why I love something. And, and I hope that that's done that for other people as well. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's a very good way to put it. I'm, I'm hopefully a few people can uh, reminisce in a few of the memories and uh, yeah, remember exactly like you say why we love it so much. And then, if anyone's listening and has enjoyed it, send in your memories of of Sunland and and you know like, I know it's crap at the minute and, and the stuff that's not great. I don't need to go on about it. We all know, um, but there will be a day when we get back, there will there will be a moment when this is a distant memory. I don't know when, I don't know how, I don't know if it'll be beyond my lifetime. It feels like it sometimes, but there will be a time because, you know, there's, there'll never not be a Sunland. As much as it sometimes feels like you, you wish there wasn't. We all love them. And, and I hope that the slight different podcast, as long as it's been, has is, is been enjoyed. But, but Dave and Brad, thanks very much um, for popping on, sharing your memories. And I, I hope everyone else can... You know, share their memories with us as well and I hope you've enjoyed it um, don't subscribe anymore because the adverts are going to start popping up so stop subscribing but I've got to pay Brad and Dave more then thanks very much Music.